my dad would cook for him and all the guides lived in this little we called it the mouse mahal i mean it was just a little rundown shack I'm kind of an addictive person if i ever get on drugs i feel like it's over <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, it's been a little bit uh, with turkey season and some of the other going-ons here, but we're, we're excited to get back rolling with the podcast series. Found out a few more of these here as we lead into the fall. I know Ira and I are looking forward to it. We're also looking forward to our guest here, uh, Pete Alfano with Whitetail Properties. Pete, we really appreciate you for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I know we've been trying to schedule this for a little while, but I know we're all kind of crazy busy, and now, you know, fall's coming around the corner. Um, you know, I'm totally geeking out on deer pictures every day. I'm sure you guys are geeking out on everything with feathers too. So yeah, it's time, uh, it's that time of year to gear down and get ready to go. Yeah, it's been wet for us, man. We've had some big rains and, you know, our construction projects have been delayed and all that stuff. So it's coming along slowly, but surely we've looked worse. Hopefully we won't get a big flood here in the next six weeks we make it through that we'll be pretty good on the duck side yeah it, so isn't that crazy how that goes like in kansas we're having one of the driest years ever okay and then and then uh, out west like where i elk hunt they're getting pounded with rain and i'm four hours east of there and it's i mean it's it's like a popcorn fart over there it's crazy how dry it is yeah that's wild it's weird how those storms can it seems the what i think is crazy is how you can get in a wet spell and you can get in a dry spell when you're in a dry spell, you can yep. fire in, you know? Yep, yep. This, and this hey, summer, like today's a good example. They were calling for a quarter inch, and we got four inches in an hour. Jeez. Yeah, yeah last week got the agent meeting in St. Louis. Uh, we had that national convention. They, I think they got like that 10-inch rain at the Marriott, and the whole place was flooded, and the air conditioner stopped working, which is awesome. <laughs> I don't mind. I you know, I, I, I was definitely more concerned with ducks, um, and I, I duck hunt almost every day. But, I, I mean, the only way I'm going to start duck hunting is if I've either got my deer or, or given up, and I usually don't give up. So, um, <laughs> yeah, get it or I don't. But uh, I'm looking forward to deer season myself. I mean, <clears throat> I'm always looking forward to duck season. I was spraying at my farm this morning, uh, for the duck farm, but the whole – all the while, I'm just like, God, I can't – we start September 15th in Missouri, you know, so – Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't ever really get after it too hot and heavy during the month of September, but uh, by the time October rolls around, I'm ready to kill something. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I, you know, talking about that kind of gives us a lead in um, with whitetail properties. Obviously you guys, I know you guys on the real estate side of things, you sell all a wide variety of, of land. Obviously you specialize in, I, you correct me if I'm wrong, but ag ground um, and, you know, recreational stuff suited towards whitetail and other recreation, waterfowl, all that stuff. So um, leading into that, Pete, you know, what little I know about your story is pretty interesting. Um, why don't you start us off with young Pete Alfano and what, what was kind of your early life? Um, was your, were your parents in real estate or how did you kind of, how did you get started on that journey? So, uh, so basically, um, I grew up in Pike County, Illinois. It, you know, it's claimed to be the deer capital of the world. Um, came from a restaurant background my dad is sicilian so we uh we had a pizza place growing up um you know i grew up in there every day working we um you know i i wasn't introduced to the outdoors literally by 
anyone. Um, it was more of, I grew up just like work, work, work. Hey, you want this, you better get off your ass and go work for it. So, um, just kind of a, kind of a unfortunate string of events. When I was 18, I went to college. Um, I thought that's what I was going to do. You know, like most kids, they don't really know what they want to do. I'm like, Oh, go, go to college, you know, and go party and play sports for four years. And then I'll figure it out. Well, as soon as I went to college, my dad um, found out he had terminal cancer. So my mom was going through nursing school. So she basically said, Hey, I'm going to sell the restaurants or um, you need to come back and take them over and figure out kind of what you want to do. So I grew up, you know, pretty damn fast. I took a loan out, dropped out of college after like a month going to college, took a loan out for $70,000, paid off his medical bills. She moved to Arizona and basically I was on my own with the restaurant. So I got kind of pushed into the business side of, and I guess pushed into life pretty quick um, as an 18 year old, not knowing really shit about accounting or anything except I had people skills and I just I you know I've always not burned bridges with people and I've tried to just keep really good people in my circles so um you know fast forward I I bought a farm I I really found peace in the outdoors that was kind of my escape from not having a dad around um and it got me away from the restaurant so uh picked up hunting and I just absolutely fell in love with the um, being outdoors, listening to nature. And then the harvesting or killing was just, that was just, I guess, the checkmate part of the game, right? Like, so everything that goes into prepping the property, um, the love for the land and everything else kind of, that was, that's what really drove me and land, I guess the beginning, the vision of Whitetail Properties. So, you know, fast forward, I bought a couple farms, you know, I was busting my ass at the restaurant working 60, 70 hours a week, you know, just getting by, um, uh, a local realtor in hey, Pete, County, I was friends uh, with. Yeah. Pete, how long were you, uh, making spaghetti and, and serving pizza and all that stuff? I mean, how many years were you like a hundred percent tied to the restaurant? I mean, honestly, ever since I could pretty much ride a bike, um, I was, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I tell people like, um, you know, and they're like, Hey, we're having breakfast. I'm like, we didn't eat breakfast at my house. You know, my, my dad worked till like midnight, one in the morning at the pizza place. He'd sleep until eight or nine. His Sicilian friend had a, um, place that was open for lunch. So we'd go there for lunch and then he would take me to the pizza place with him. And I would grind cheese, which, I mean, my dad would probably be arrested now if they knew that I was grinding these giant mixers and grinding cheese and sticking my arm down augers at, you know, five and six years old. But that's the difference between today's society, too, and 35 years ago. Yeah, no joke. Um, Pete, Pete you, you're talking about your family, and I um, I know that – you is it is it right? Was your dad, like, did he come from Sicily over here? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He came over when he was a kid, um, teens, and um, he had a family member over here. So then basically what happened, they they started going around opening pizza places and kind of so that uh, that American dream that everyone talks about, like I witnessed it firsthand through my father, like he went through the whole process of becoming a um, 
a naturalized citizen here in the United States. I mean, I still have his, all this paperwork and uh, all the tests and everything he had to do to actually do it the right way, like you're supposed to do. Um, so, you know, it's crazy. You fast forward now and see what's going on. It's, it's crazy because this, you know, the country's built of immigrants basically is what the United States is done the right way. I mean, so the American dream is still there. And like my family, myself, I mean, the whitetail properties that all spun from an immigrant from another country, which is crazy. Yeah, that's cool. crazy. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was going to say it's crazy. And I just wanted to hit on also the fact of, so, I mean, I'm not trying to sound like a freaking line out of Goodfellas, but I mean, you guys come from like the old country, whatever. And uh, yeah, whenever I played football in school in college, uh, one of my roommates was uh, had kind of a similar similar story. A couple of my teammates did. Um, There's a pretty uh, strong uh, Italian American foothold, if you will, or whatever you want to call it, in Kansas City. There's a lot of history there, and yeah. I always admired what those guys. Um, one way or the other, the amount of hard work that they did as kids, and it's all you know. Uh, the ones that I knew, a lot of their dads were running like, uh, whether it was asphalt or um, body shops and, and stuff like that. They were all highly successful liquor stores. They were highly successful people, but those kids were working like from, hey, you know, eight years old, other kids are playing video games. We're out stocking shelves. You know, like I always admire. Yeah. Them. Yeah. And it's, it's a different culture too. Like, like a lot of in the old country, like my dad always said, it's, um, when they're kids, they, they stick them into a profession. Like, so he, he sat by a mechanic for like, when he was like eight, nine years old, like, so they, they pick professions and they, they kind of do a trade style kind of education there too. So, which I think we should have more of here in the United States. Yeah. You know, what's wild is uh, nowadays, all these kids with phones, you know, they're on anti-anxiety meds and antidepressants and the suicide rates high and all that. For goodness sakes, all they do is look at their phone. You'd think that a kid who was five and six reaching into a cheese grater, grating cheese all day. I mean, if you're ever going to be depressed or think about yeah. cheese grater, it would have been back then, not now. Yeah. Not yeah. The way it- yeah. 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 It's just different, man. Like, if I wanted to eat dinner or go see my dad, I had to go ride my bike like three towns over and go to the pizza place and go work, you know, then, and then he'd make me a pizza to eat dinner. You know, it's like, if I would have said, Hey, can we go to McDonald's? I would have got smacked across the face. You know what I mean? What? Okay. What a little bit off here. What's the traditional straight up. Now I'm sure you've watched like the, the Dave Portnoy pizza review bullshit and all that. I was yeah. Yeah going to some of those old places and you know those cool but is that I mean is what he's talking about legit I mean what's a what's a traditional pie consist of like how how many ingredients and what goes into it so like a lot of the stuff you see like barstool sports like a lot of that stuff's a New York style pizza that they're the um, so like the original like our family and there there's probably still 50 60 of our family members that still have the same recipe so Ours would be more of like more of a cracker style crust um, with a homemade sauce, cheese, and maybe one or two ingredients. But obviously, like we made everything, like any type of pizza you can imagine, we've we've made it. I used to, I mean, because 
we were closer to Chicago and I was a huge Bears fan. So I had a pizza called the Erlacher Slammer that was like had 30 some ingredients and the thing literally weighed like 12 pounds. Um, <laughs> so it's just marketing, baby, at that point. Was your family thing? Was your family? Well, I mean, would you would you classify the style pizza as like as like a bar pizza or would you like I mean, what would you call it? No, I. I would call it just traditional, like, um, traditional Midwest, like a Sicilian, um, pizza, like trying to think if there's any, there's not even really a chain that's close to it because everything's homemade. Um, shit, I can't even think of something because everything now is just soggy and like, it's more of like a folded up taco. Um, right. Yeah, there's nothing really out there I can think of that's even close to it. Well, that's good. That's that's descriptive enough. Um, yeah. So so okay. So we, we kind of got off on a tangent there, but um, but it's interesting because you know you can just say, hey, I ran a restaurant, whatever. You know, people think about yeah. that. They kind of gloss over it. They don't think about a kid actually in there. Like, hey, you know, you you know, some kids I'm sure in your class and stuff are out playing catch in the yard and stuff, and you're going down playing catch with freaking pizza dough to get it out to the you know i mean like it's yeah. just different it's a whole different dynamic for a kid whose parent is a business owner you know at times totally yeah it's a, it's totally like i i mean i would have loved to and and looking back now like i missed out on um like during my 20s and 30s like when all your friends are getting married and like everyone's like having good times on the weekends and partying and stuff i can count on one hand how many Fridays or Saturdays probably for 20 years that I didn't work so that's why like now being in my later 40s I'm like if I want to go do something I'm like you know what I I put in my time like during the heyday when everyone else was having fun and partying like I worked my ass off you know 60 70 hours a week pretty much my whole life so um so you, you took over the the restaurant when you were 18 and then how how long were you primarily focused on the restaurant what period of time did did whitetail properties and buying real estate and other stuff kind of start to take over so it was uh exactly about 14 years i think i was 33 years old um kind of back up a little bit before i spun off um the so I, I sold a couple farms and through another realtor and it was, you know, I made good money, like literally money that I would make all year at the restaurant. So during that time, I met another guy from Minnesota that his, he was the same age as me. His dad passed away when he was 18. He owned his own business. Me and him hit it off really good. Um, we started talking about, you know, shit, you know, you, you got production equipment, you know, I, we're huge into hunting. We both have the same passions. We both own our own business. We're 18. Our father's just passed away. So we started talking about trying to do a real estate company based around a TV show. Um, and that's kind of how Whitetail Properties really developed. And then during that same time, there was a group of guys from Pike County that I knew that formed money together and they were buying properties. So I was friends with these guys and I knew them. So they caught wind of what we were talking about. So we basically all sat down. Uh, I still remember where we were. We were in Barry, Illinois at a hunting lodge. We sat down there and um, I don't know, a case of beer. And two hours later, we 
basically did it and started Whitetail Properties in 2007, you know, 2008. And um, yeah, I mean, that's literally just a bunch of business owners came together with the same kind of likes and interests. And I want to say one thing too about the, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm fine with that. Uh, Ira has no problem doing it for sure. But, uh, <laughs> but like, on, I'm just using the social media age and Iris talking about kids these days. And, you know, it's easy to say kids these days, but you know, all of these young people these days, you look on Instagram and you see these, oh, whatever you want to call them, self-help people or, or uh, influencers or whoever talking about like the, the joys of running your own business and how that's the only way to go. And, you know, you, people driving sports cars around and all that stuff. And, you know, you're, t- entrepreneurship isn't just making a pile of money and day trading and whatever the hell people think, you know, you look at yeah. you at the pizza place for how long, I mean, that's what people don't think about. Yeah. You're a business yep. owner, a restaurant and you might bring a bunch of money in, but that's, that's low margin, high quantity. Yep. I mean, if you're not pounding out literally the pizzas, you're not making any money. There's no, it's not a bunch of right. residual income just coming in I and mean, that's hard work. No. Nope. Yeah. And dude, you hit that right on the head because I have this conversation all the time with younger kids, right? That kind of see, they see the after effects, right? Of someone that's worked their ass off their whole life and a whole team of guys, right? That sacrificed a bunch, you know, you know, three, 400 people now. So, you know, when someone says, oh man, how did you, how'd you get to this? Or how'd you do this? Cause they just see the house or they see my car, they see me hunting somewhere. It's like, dude, I don't know if this is for you. Like there's there, I always say there's eight to fivers and then there's grinders. Like if you're a grinder, you're going to figure it out. Like I say, take strip me of everything I have, right? Give me five bucks. I'll figure out a way to survive and turn that five bucks into a hundred by the end of the day. And not everyone's wired that way. Which is, which is fine. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing because especially on this podcast, you know, what we, through ironized backgrounds, you know, we try to encourage people to, Hey, take that risk if that's for you. And, and we try to interview people yeah. who have taken that risk, but I love when the people are like, Oh my, it must be nice to be able to be going duck hunting on a Tuesday or whatever. I wonder when I'll get to that point or whatever. And you want to say, you're not going to, because you never took that risk. You didn't see yeah. the risk. You didn't take it. And if you don't take it, you're never going to get there. And, and, you know, on, on the, on the flip side, Pete, when they go on vacation or they go hunting, they clock out of work. Work's not calling them all day long. They're not getting out of the truck to go back to deal with the, with the tax issue or what, whatever, you know, so it's easy to wish you were in the other boat, but I just think it's cool because, you know, now, yeah, you're, you're probably somebody that I'm sure is like, holy shit, that dude's getting to do what he wants and this and that. But it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it sounds to me like it's really been a grind to get there. Ira, I know, I know that you um, are probably somebody that I hear all the time. People talk about like, Oh, it must be nice. Get to have all these duck hunting spots. But Ira real quick, kind of talk about when you guys started your clinic, it wasn't, it wasn't like how it is now. I mean, you weren't as free with your time and there was times when you didn't get to go hunting all the time. Correct. Oh man. I mean, you know, when we opened our second clinic, uh, well, in the first eight months, we lost about $200,000 and didn't take a paycheck. And I worked at the emergency clinic every night and slept in my office on the carpet um, 
back in the back room for a long time. And so you're like, oh, we got through it in eight months. No, then it went on for like another four years before yeah. we actually broke even, you know. And, uh, you know, that's just the way that that stuff goes. And, you know, a lot of people, when they ask us these questions, and all, all three of us have seen this, but they're, they're wanting what they're really asking you is, what's the short and quick and easy way to get there and they're in one nope you gotta you gotta put your time in man like it like the first three years of whitetail properties i can't tell you how much natural light beer i drank and cans of tuna and water from the faucet i drank because that was and my partner lived in my garage like sleeping on the floor with his wife like those are the things that make who you know most people can't take rejection and like they need instant wins right and i always say like if you win 51 percent of your life you just kicked life in the ass right it's the the other 49 percent. who cares you know what i mean as long as you're one percent over average you won and with like pete when you're and, and people have to look at the nature of the business they're getting into so a lot of what i deal with uh you know my marketing business is real estate marketing so you know mm -hmm. not every obviously not every real estate company I'm sure you're thankful of has a marketing department that hammers the shit out as, as hard as what yours does. So I work with some great yep. agents and I do some stuff with some great guys, some guys that sell a ton of land and do provide it, you know, do a great job. But, you know, I see this all the time. It depends on what business you get into. Some of the agents that I work for and with, and some of the ones that, that are on your team, you know, it depends on the nature of your business. You, you know, you guys can turn, you guys might work from a month to get one deal. And then when you get it done, it might be like you watch Tennessee baseball. It's a bat flip grand slam deal, you know, and you, you know, you can, you can enjoy the win. You know, some people are in a nature of a business where it's manufacturing, whatever. It's like, we got to put this product out and we can't celebrate. Cause then we got to put this one and this one and this one. So you kind of got to decide what you want to do. Do you want to, do you want to really grind for a homer or do you want to just hit singles? And there's no, there, you can still get around the yeah. base both ways. Yep, exactly. No, I think you, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, it, and I think it just goes back to the people's mentalities. Like there's some people that ha really need to be eight to fivers, you know what I mean? And then there's people out there that were, that are risk takers that know they're risk takers, but then there's the ones in the middle. Those are the ones I meet a lot that I can tell. It's like, dude, you've got an entrepreneur mind, like read books, like rich dad, poor dad, read books and you'll get off that you know, that stool you need to, you'll get that kick in the ass you need to go take that risk. Rich dad, poor dad. We know, but, yeah. What you guys were unbelievably successful at um, was building a brand that provided value way beyond whatever income it was producing on a sale or real estate commission or whatever. I mean, it's, I, I don't have any clue of the scope of the numbers, mm -hmm. but I would imagine that the equity of the brand will surpass all of that whenever yeah. the time you guys are ready for it. but you know that's another thing that a lot of people don't think about is they think about okay did this month did we make a hundred dollars a thousand dollars however much money? but if you're truly successful at building a brand like whitetail properties yep. then you got something that the value of the brand that you built is worth a whole lot hell yeah yeah man like i, I know uh you guys probably know the same guy but it, it, he's one of the best taxidermists in the country right so i've been trying to help him like 
I'm like, dude, when you retire, you don't have, you're not creating a brand right now. You're creating, you are the man behind your brand. You haven't pushed the brand because you haven't been training people. Right. So when you retire, that legacy dies, man, you're not going to get paid shit off your brand. So you need to bring people in to protect your brand. So that was one thing with my other partners that they're older and I mean, they've been around big business way more than I have. And that was one of the things that we knew we had to do is we had to build just a badass brand, right. That people recognize. So because at the end of the day, our, your real estate company is built up of a bunch of independent agents, right? So it doesn't mean shit unless you have a brand to sell. You don't have shit to sell except your people can go anywhere they want. And you so can, and you that's can, from day one, we've done it. You can dial the wrong number and get a real estate agent these days, but you are not going to yeah. get somebody that's necessarily a whitetails property agent because that Correct. brand, in my mind, or whoever's mind, in, in the consumer's mind, that brand means something. If you know, from John Q. Consumer, okay, if I'm going to deal with whitetail property, I got a hunting farm, where should I start? You know, I'm not saying they're going to choose whitetail properties, but that's at least going to be yep. in their in their conversation. It's going to be in the short list just because of right. the name and the brand. Yeah, and it's. I mean, really, I, I would just say that if if we're not first of mind awareness, then we should be at least we should give you a shot. I mean, give one of our guys a shot. I mean, because we've the you know the cool thing is I love competition. I don't I don't give a shit if 600 people try to copy what we've done. Um, 550 have already tried. So we end up growing just as long, you know, they keep growing, we keep growing too at the same speed. So it doesn't matter to me. Um, we just step up our game, which makes other companies step up their game, which makes the whole real estate land business step up, which honestly needed to happen when we started the company. That's why we did it. I, I just, there was a, there was a niche in the market there where, like if I wanted to go buy a farm, it's like, where the hell do you, where do you go look for a hunting property and nothing guys, girls, whoever, it's like, who do you call? Like, do you call the woman that sells homes downtown Chicago? I mean, so I just knew so many passionate dudes in the hunting world that it's like, it's such an easy fit for a lot of people to walk into the space. How many agents do you have? Right now about 340. And, and for the younger guys, let's just do a little rewind. If you go back to 07, 08, Pete, help me uh, with the timeline there. But, you know, we did have the Internet. Yep. There was no Facebook. There, the Internet was pretty remedial. And yep. in 08, you know, that was about the period where the yellow pages kind of started to disappear. Uh, looking yep. through catalogs, like physical catalogs was still kind of the big thing but but you could kind of just start to look for items on something like google or whatever but it definitely was nothing anything like the world that we're in now where everybody does everything on their phones and everything's right at the tip of your fingers so you know you guys probably hit it you did really good time from a yeah. digital marketing organization uh, looking at things through a different set of eyes than the people that had been doing real estate for 20 years that were all, you know, advertising the paper, put out a sign, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, that that was our biggest, that was the biggest aha moment was during that 
economic crash, like that 08 time, everything else was changing at the same time too. So we literally, me and the rest of the partners, we put all of our savings into it, right? And we just went all in on, on our webpage and search engine optimization and knew that we could probably capture that um, better than anyone because no one had done it yet. And we just pushed all the chips in. And then during that economic crash, you know, we thought it was stupid at the time, but looking back, we timed it perfect because when the recovery happened, we were already, you know, we were rounding third already. And so obviously when you put a plan in place like that and it works, a good plan, a good brand are paramount, but I want to hit a little bit too, because I want people listening to this, all seven of you to think about, you know, (laughs) there's a difference, you know, you can be an entrepreneur and you can be a very successful, highly motivated grinder type individual and be an independent contractor with the company like Whitetail Properties. And I'm not being mm-hmm. able to say that. I, you know, some of the agents, I don't work with any with Whitetail Properties, but some of the real estate agents, and I know you know good agents that are outside of your company. Some of the best agents sure. that I know work for a brokerage and they're turning gigantic amounts of money. They're, they're oh. I mean, you know, relatively, they're, they're hammering it away. They do a great job for their clients and they're working with an established, whether a small or a large brokerage. And so mm-hmm. while the brand is huge, obviously the brand gets calls coming in, you know, people, I go back to a realtor that I've used. People go back to somebody. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. You know, how, how can a person that's a super um, passionate about land and a super driven entrepreneur type, is there a fit for them within a company a larger company use whitetail properties as an, as an example who are you yeah. looking for yeah. as, as a guy or a girl so we may be different than other companies but we our number one thing is we want someone passionate about the outdoors right they don't honestly if they come from a not sales but if they come from a real estate background a lot of times i always say they've been tainted a little bit by the real estate market so um, our model is a little bit different than the regular brokership because we are, we get protected territory. So it's not so cutthroat within the company. Um, we're more of like one giant family and kind of feed off each other where a lot of real, you know, it's a lot of like a, a Remax or someone they'll have, there'll be 400 people selling in the same, you know, area. Um, so for us, our business model is a little bit different, but what people need to realize, like when you come, like if you, I'm just going to use our company, for example, you come to Whitetail Properties as an agent, you are starting, it's your own business. You're an independent contractor. You got to, I always say it's like you're a plumber, right? So a plumber just doesn't say, hey, I'm going to be a plumber today. And then uh, you got to invest in your business. So we help marketing dollars with a guy, with a guy or girl that comes on board to help them get started. But like, the way that we tell them is like, if you were a plumber, no one's going to just hand you the van and all the tools and all the shit you need to become a plumber, right? You have to invest in yourself. It's a business and a business that you have an opportunity to make upwards towards a million dollars a year, right? So it's, it, it's one of the most lucrative businesses you can get in for very low fixed income because just like Ira, I mean, when, when he started his clinics or when I had the restaurant, if someone would have said, Hey, save yourself a shitload of time, give me a hundred grand. 
I would have turned that into a million dollars, literally in a couple of years, knowing what I know now, right? I would have invested in my own real estate business and um, I would have just crushed it. Right. I mean, that, and, and that's something that, you know, I, I get, I just want to make sure that I'm getting the point across of, you know, we're talking about going out on your own and doing this shit and, yeah. and all that. I want to just say that there are paths to do that with, you know, without of just, well, you know, outside of, well, let me think of a product that hadn't been done before. Let me think of a, let me think, oh, of yeah. you know, hadn't been done before. Yeah. Sales is uh, what's awesome about sales, real estate or anything is you eat what you kill. That's what I tell people, man. If you work your ass off, you make more money. The company makes a piece, you make the lion's share of the money. So like I always said, I hope every guy, girl that works for me, you guys all are millionaires, right? Because we supply the foundation, the blocks for you. It's your job to go out there and kick ass, right? So you kick ass, we're all going to kick ass. And, and if you if you look at somebody that that has the, the communication skills and the ability to be a good agent, this is my opinion, but my opinion is, you know, sales, whether it be real estate or, or whatever, sales can breed, you know, some residual income. Because like I said, whenever I do a great job for somebody or you do a great job for somebody or Ira does a great job for somebody, they want to come back. You're creating an income stream on into the future and their kids, hey, my dad used Pete, so I'm going to use Pete, whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. how it works. Referral. Yeah, referral business is so big in our, in our world. Huge what um so, okay so how how did you go well, i mean so you weren't a real estate agent at this time when you started this or you you, you became one and then you started it or or how did i guess yeah was, i wasn't how did you yeah, start I wasn't when, yeah so i was when we started i wasn't um and then as soon as the company formed then um, I got a license literally in Pike County, Illinois, where the company was, um, because I just knew so many people from the restaurant. So, um, you know, it was an easy fit for me. And what, how did that start? Oh, go ahead, Ira, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask with Whitetail Properties, I know you guys do lots of other things. Um, and I may be speaking out of turn here because I don't remember what they all are, but yep. uh, you guys have like management, consulting, financing, all that type of stuff is, is things besides just uh, the sales side of it. Yeah. So um, two years ago, we started the um, ag services side of the business. So um, basically we've got a whole division that works with um, farmers and operators now to there's a lot of, um, I call them kickbacks, but there's a lot of seed companies, insurance. There's a lot of these companies that pay back that the savings aren't going to the operators, the farmers. So we saw what we were already doing an easy fit for us to go in there and work with farmers to get their seed sales, get their crop insurance sales, and to get it at a better price um, than what they were typically paying. Because we can we got big enough, quick enough that our savings, we could still save them money and still make it profitable for us to do the service. So we did that. Um, we started an auction company last year. So we're doing, we're probably doing two or three auctions a month, land auctions right now. 
Um, one thing we're getting ready to kick off, which I'm super excited about, is um, we're going to be doing equipment um, auctions. So we're kind of getting all the final pieces put in place. But so we'll start um, auctioning off equipment because it just all kind of goes together. You got the land, um, you know, either the conventional real estate, which we do, or, um, you know, we'll sell hunting property, but the farm ground, then we saw a niche for that. Then people have houses they wanted to sell. So sell those or we can auction them. People then are stuck with farm equipment when they want to retire or, you know, guy, there's guys out there that just buy and sell farm equipment too. So we figured, Hey, we've already got the systems that are working for us. Why not, you know, get into this. And, um, we are doing crop insurance now this year too, which is, we're writing a lot of crop insurance. So, you know, I think we got our hands full. So I think we're kind of like, we're just going to build within the organization right now. I don't think, you know, we get hit up all the time for, you know, to add arms to the business, but it's, um, I don't want to get myself and the partners. We don't want to get too spread out right now. So for the landowner though, you're providing a comprehensive list of services, uh, you know, for whether a buyer yeah. or a seller, you know, uh, and, and I assume you guys would be ones that, you know, folks get into, let's just say for instance, you know, John Doe buys a farm and he wants to have it custom farmed or whatever. So he's going to have crop insurance. He's somebody that could say, Hey Pete, I've never had a farm before. I have no clue what's going on, but I know I need crop insurance. Obviously you guys have got a network where you can help put the pieces together for what he needs to do there. Yeah. Yeah. Super easy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that stuff. And then, I mean, the one thing we don't, do is we don't do hunting leases but it's just you know obviously we all know a million people that will lease somebody's farm so it's just something that we don't advertise but obviously we can put two we can put two people together for a lease sure sure what where do you see pete where do you see your business going do you see your business going so obviously you guys have grown the sales side of things you know your brand is is a, is a locomotive, whatever you want to call it, it's rolling down the track. Yeah. So obviously you guys have added a couple facets that sounds like, you know, you guys are going to provide more value per transaction, or you're going to have more potential per transaction to not only help the customer and the customer is going to have an easier go just dealing with one, you know, group, but you guys are going to have the chance to, you know, realize some more profit off that. Is that where you feel like your growth is going to come from is that where is that what pete alfano is excited about moving forward with the company you know i i think our biggest right now my excitement is we've really got big into the west um and when we started the company we had the discussion the name whitetail properties and the logo and if that was going to screw us someday you know so now we're selling we're a player in the ranch game. So we're selling, I mean, I have a, I have a listing call after this, a $7.5 million place in Montana. The guy literally called me. Um, he could call any of the bigger ranch places, but he called me to help try to put someone together to sell it. So uh, we're making, we've got a pretty badass team of guys and girls out there in the Bozeman office. We're located in the new Sitka building. Um, and I mean, those guys are killing it. So we're recruiting we're recruiting right now. We're filling states up. Um, to me, that because I love big game hunting, right? So, to me, that's my most exciting. I mean, if you look at everything, it's it's all exciting, but it's that western 
um, lifestyle is just badass. You know, I just love that, uh, that whole world out there. It's, Ira, I don't know if you heard Pete, I'm sure you have, but Ira is going to be joining that realm here. This, this fall sounds like. <laughs> hey Pete, is Western anything West of Kansas or is, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you wear a cowboy hat, 75% of the time, I call it out West. Okay. Ira is a true endurance athlete. And <laughs> Ira drives his Ranger to the thing, does soft field deer rifle, takes a piss off the front of the stand, and shoots. <laughs> there you go. So if you have anything well, that would accommodate somebody like that. <laughs> yeah, I could find something. What, you know, when you're, when you're good, it's easy. Yeah. Uh, Pete, what, what have you noticed? Because I know a guy like you, and I'm, I'm guessing, so if I'm wrong, you can tell me, but I'm mm -hmm. assuming a guy like you that is involved in this, in the real estate game, you know, obviously you're busy all the time with it, but you've also are able to free yourself up. I'm sure what are, you don't have to say what they are, but what I want to know yeah. is have you diversified into any other, in any, into other areas and how has being an entrepreneur kind of helped you with that mindset of being able to do that and, and how ha, have you found success doing that or, or how's that been? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say it's a blessing and a curse, a, a, a curse because I look at everything now and I think I'm, I can do it better than other companies. Right. So anything I look at my brain instantly is like, Oh shit, I could build this or I, I could take this idea and build it a little bit better. And then I just start going down the rabbit hole. Right. And um, so, I mean, I have, let's see, I'm in, three different companies right now. Um, so trying to find time between everything has got a little challenging and I've had to hire some assistants to help me because I try to stay passionate in everything I do. Um, you know, and it's, and I still think I have, I tell everyone, I tell my wife too, I said, I got one more badass idea. I just don't know what it is yet, but I got one more. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, what's fun about it though. You know what I mean? Like you, there's nothing to say you can't go off on any, any direction that you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've tried to stick close to my roots around hunting. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm working on a lot of nutritional thing for de like deer supplement feeding. I've been doing a lot of testing and just products and stuff that I use personally. I like on my own properties and ranches and things that I see. Those are the things, but like manufacturing costs are just so crazy that it's like, you got to go so deep into that. It's like raise some major capital to be, to play. You know what I mean? So it's like, God, do I really want to invest a couple million dollars because I think it's cool, you know? That's, you know, I haven't been, I'm not faced with that. I'm at, I'm at the point where like, do I want to invest a couple hundred dollars? But yes, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. What, Do I, want I didn't say it's my couple. I didn't say it's my uh, million. That's right. Well, I'm always ready to invest a million dollars. Just step right up. Yeah. Uh, do you, Pete? What are you? What are you looking forward to on the hunting side as far as whitetails this year? I know that I know that that pains the waterfowlers on here and the and the big game hunters, the western hunters. But <laughs> I mean, on the whitetail side of things, I just I can't I can't get over it. I know that you're a whitetail guy as well. And what I mean, yeah. So in it is primary is most of your whitetail hunting done in Kansas? 
most of my, I hunt all over, but my passion is um, South Central Kansas. That's really where I have a pretty big stronghold on. It's, it, it's one of the, I mean, it's one of the premier places I know of the United States. Um, I've been really, really testing a lot of stuff there for five, six years. Um, I mean, I call it the proving grounds, like uh, just some of the stuff I've done there. It's just incredible. So I actually bought a governor's tag um, this year from DU or uh, Ducks Unlimited Banquet. So um, Jimmy John bought a couple and then he was nice enough to sell me one. So I actually have two buck tags this year in Kansas, which I'm super excited about because some of these farms I've been managing, this is six years. Um, and it's just a complete freak show. Uh, I've got a bunch of 200 inch deer this year. So I'm like super excited this year about hunting. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, my wife's really got into hunting big deer, not just hunting deer. So I always say there's two types of hunters and it doesn't really matter what you are. Either you just like hunting, going out to go kill a deer, doe, whatever it is, or you're hunting uh, a certain type of top end deer, right? So that's kind of, obviously that's where I'm at. My wife's, that's where she's at now. So it's fun because now we're just chasing certain deer instead of just hunting. So neither one's right or wrong it's just that's where we're at so that's i'm excited about that this year too is like my wife hunting by herself with a bow um she you know try to kill a booner this year with a bow so yeah and then obviously i'll go to nebraska and hunt um i'm bringing in some clients this year so honestly i get i get geeked out taking them you know because these people all kill usually the biggest deer of their life so that's always fun for me and then i usually convert them into land clients so hey, so help me why do you need a governor's tag to hunt your ground in kansas i, I don't get it extra tag. well kansas is just a one buck state so um you can kill a you can kill a second buck if you buy that if you have that governor's tag so i, I mean it's a crazy amount of money but it goes it goes 100 percent back to wildlife so that's the thing it's like once again people are like oh i wish i had you know whatever it is to buy a governor's tag and i'm like dude you know it's it it all goes back to you and so you can enjoy hunting in the state of kansas too it's like it's no one's making money off it i see so you get to shoot one and that allows you to kill more than one i can kill a second buck and i can kill a mule deer which a non-resident can't get a mule deer tag in kansas so there's some monster mule deer in kansas so um i've got a couple located out west that uh, i may go try to hunt one so i'm kind of torn do i go hunt a giant mule deer or you know try to go hunt another one of my big white tails gotcha there's the got, you know, you're talking about the two types of hunters there. Alex Templeton and I always joke about this, but there's the got my butt guy and there's the got the butt guy. You know, yeah, some, people, yeah. some people got get to the second level, but you know, that's also, that's also kind of depending on what business you're in. That's, I mean, there's a point in time when everybody's chasing any deal they can find and any lead they can find and they'll, you know, they'll sell out for anything. And then, and then there's times where it's like, Hey, no, um, I'm not going to chase that. I'm not going to pursue that. I'm going to wait on that in order to get a certain, you know, caliber of client or, or employee or, you know, or, or opportunity. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, even on the, on the land, like the real estate side, I mean, you just said it, you just hit it right on the head too. Like we, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we lose listings to uh, competition, which is fine. And, but uh, like the classic sales trick is, well, I can get you, let's just say this property is worth 3000. A seller wants to hear it's worth 3,500 or let's just say 4,000. Right. So if I'm a weak salesman, I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in and say, I can get you 4,000. You know what I mean? Just to get the listing. They damn well know they're not going to sell it at 4,000, you know, and we'll end up selling it anyways, probably for them at the price that we told them what it's worth, you know, but it's, that is just an example. Like what you said, the best agents, the best agents, the handful of best ones that I know would say literally nothing pisses them off more than when somebody goes into, you know, grandpa and tells them that his grounds were 9,000 an acre when everybody knows damn good. Well, it's worth six. They say it to get the yep. listing and then they hold on for the ride. I mean, that, that just lessens the market. Yep. You know, it's tough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it screws, it screws it for everyone. Everyone trying to sell gets, in the area. Everybody gets ground. Every, every brokerage gets ground that might not work out yep. the way they thought, but as a general rule, yep. you know, you get a reputation obviously for doing it yep. the right way. And that's in any business. That's like veterinary business and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sitting here laughing because, uh, Joe and I here lately, it's been working in the, the opposite for us. So Joe will call me up and be like, hey, man, there's this auction coming up. Uh, I think I think it's probably worth $3,500, 4000 4, top dollar UN. I'm like, yep, I'm in. And <laughs> so he'll text me later and be like, well, that didn't take long. Uh, sold $100. You like, didn't buy it. <laughs> we, hit on, we hit on like two out of a hundred, but the two have been fun. You know, you know how it is, yeah. that kind of stuff. It's like, uh, okay, you see this land going for this, what people, you know, air quotes, crazy prices. Um, you hit on this a little bit earlier, Pete, and I wanted to come back to it and I'm going to come back to it now. What is it about land? What is it about land that there's that, there's that it factor about it. It doesn't necessarily in certain situations have to make financial sense. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And you know, what is it about it? What, for me, there's just a captivating thing about land. Like if, I mean, if somebody says such and such grounds for sale, I'm going to check it. I mean, I've worn my phone screen out for Onyx maps. I mean, it's just yeah. like, what, can you put your finger on that? Obviously that's why you're involved and that's why you got started doing that. But, but what is, what is that thing that I'm trying to describe? I think it's, so for me, it's like a sense of having a piece of, you know, uh, it's the safest investment. Okay. That I look at it like that. So I, I don't have hardly shit in the stock market because that's controlled by, that's controlled by things we can't really control unless you're just a, um, a stock market nerd, right? Most people I know, are passionate about there's something or the outdoors or hunting, right? So what other thing can you do to invest money into, right? In something you love, you know what I mean? Like if you were like obsessed with Ferraris and you could buy into the Ferrari plant, I mean, how badass would that be, right? I don't give a shit about fast cars. I'm into big trucks, but I'm just using that as an example. But um, for land, it, I've always bought farms and land, right? Like I just tried to sell my wife on buying a place in Mon like that place in Montana this afternoon. And she's like, but I don't think we're going to live there. Are we? And I just said, honey, I've got a park. What if I need to park? I sold another piece of property. I need to park some money somewhere. 
where else can I go park money and we can go hang out and go kill an elk and have fun. And the thing is making money sitting there, right? Um, you know, it's probably appreciating at 15% a year and that's not doing shit on, on improvements. You know what I mean? What else can you buy that they can't come take from you? You know, anything else you don't, you can't control shit and I, land's always been the safest buy. I, I don't know, Pete, I hear that Bitcoin's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 Another thing I stayed away from. <laughs> I, I think, you know, if you can explain something about land, and I always think about this investments, and this is probably why I don't have any money, but, you know, if you, can, <laughs> if you can explain it, if you can explain it, I'm interested in investing in it. If I can't explain yeah. it, I mean, you look at like NFTs. Yes, it's a phase. Yes, there, there, it's a phase, but there's tons of money to be made in it, I'm sure. But somebody's going to yeah. get left holding the bag. Nobody gets left holding the bag yeah. of land if you're buying it right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you can go to let's just say you have a hundred thousand dollars in cash, right? And you are going to do something with it right now. And this piece of property comes up for sale and it's right at what it's worth. hundred thousand bucks, or you take it and go buy a hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin next week. You could be sitting there and it's worth shit. That property next week or next year, it's going to probably be worth 108,000 to 95,000. Right? So it's more likely it's going to be over what you paid for it. So you park the cash you went over there, you know, you might be able to hunt, fish, whatever you want to do on that property. They can't come take it from you. You know what I mean? As long as you're paying your taxes on it, which usually and doesn't yeah, cost shit anyway. And there's tax advantages. I mean, there's a way exactly. that you can. And, and another thing about it is people talk about, and I'm probably different than some, but people talk about like recreational, you know, return and enjoyment and all that. And I think people think that that's, oh, he's getting enjoyment because he killed one deer off there or, well, he killed 60 ducks. Is that worth that money? How much? It's it's like, it's not about the one deer. It's about, I get enjoyment every time I step foot on the property. I mean, yeah. I was on two farms that I own today and it was like, this is badass. I mean, just, just, just yeah. rolled up. There's just a sense of, I don't know, something about it. It's just, it's just uh, yeah. worth more than you can really describe. Well, at the end of the day, life is really short, right? We all know people that have had their lives cut short. It, and it's like, if you could, it literally, like I always tell my wife, one of the main reasons behind why I started Whitetail Properties was I wanted to someday sit in my back porch and watch a deer in the backyard and say, holy shit, I bought this piece of ground. This deer is living on my own property that I created this food plot in my backyard and I can go kill that thing and eat it if I want. You know what I mean? It's like, what else can you do to invest or save money and enjoy your investment while it's growing? And, you know, we've touched on this before, but it's worth repeating. Probably the other reason that the three of us on this podcast appreciate it a whole lot is because when we were young and getting into hunting and struggling to have success and all those things we didn't have a place to go we were like most people where we were doing it on someone else's ground or on public ground or whatever and it was a dream for us to have our own piece whether it was an acre or 10 acres or whatever and so then you know if you start there and someone didn't just give it to you I think you appreciate it so much more and I think that's part of the reason that you know, 
we do find so much enjoyment and satisfaction, all that stuff from running our own places to go where you can go and do what you want and make it better and, and just have the, the experiences that having your own piece of ground provides. It, yeah. It's, it, it's just interesting because there's it land has a value and it has a lot of values. It has a monetary value. It has a, all sorts of values, but you know, obviously you could put a price on ground, but, and, and maybe you have a couple of these and maybe you don't Pete, but what I think is interesting is, so I, I'm, you know, I come from, you know, my dad was one of 12. They had a nice size family farm, but one of the older brothers, that guy older than my dad kept the farm. My grandpa wanted to keep it all together. There's 12 kids. They worked it out to where he could keep it, keep farming it. And you know what, with 12 kids, if one guy didn't end up with it, it probably wouldn't have had any longevity. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that it worked out, but that wasn't my dad. So we had, we had our yard is what we own and my, my dad. And so, you know, we, we, we can hunt on family land, which is great, but it was always like, Hey, we got a good buddy and we can hunt on it. Or, you know, we can scrape a little bit of money together to lease it. But it was like every other year, well, Hey, so-and-so's daughter got married and he hunts there now. And, and I get it because yeah. I've been the son-in-law like, and so whenever I got married or started dating my wife, you know, it's like, you know, her family had a, a good, a good deal of land. And, you know, my, I'm sitting there like scratching and clawing, like, Oh my God, can I dove hunt there? Can I go fishing? Can I do this? You know, my brother-in-law who is a great guy and I'm thank God every day that he's not that interested in hunting, but you know, he had this couple thousand acres at his disposal to do, I mean, drive around on, go hunt, go fish, go, you know, throw beer bottles, do whatever you want. He had that his whole life. And to him, it's just kind of like, you know, it's, he appreciates the land obviously, but it's not like, it's not the same as somebody who's never had anything. It's just not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's the sense of happiness. I get on a piece of ground that I've bought. You can't replace that. That's something you can't replace with any drug or alcohol. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, that's to know you worked your ass off to buy that piece of dirt. Um, that's something I tell someone until you do it. That's it's a, when people talk about having kids and like that feeling, it's the same thing with buying your own piece of property. And there's certain farms that, well, there's, it, it's crazy how you can get a farm that no matter how money motivated you might be, which I would consider myself somebody who's always trying to find a way to advance my career. You know, like the farm that we live on right now, my wife and I, we own, it but then the the farm that surrounds it my in-laws own you know obviously you know one day hopefully I mean my wife and I will have that but no matter what if we own it today I mean there's no amount of money I mean and I mean that not one single amount of money that I would ever get rid of it for I wouldn't care if I had to go back to you know working for some I mean there it would be the absolute last thing to go so it's like it's yeah. cool that that land can be worth something, you know, Hey, at one point that ground was sold to my wife's family for, you know, whatever somebody thought it was worth. And it's just cool that it can get to a point in, in the, that's what makes land so valuable because there's no amount of money that could buy that piece. And it's like somebody that would want something like that will have to go find or buy or locate or whatever. And it can be worth different to different people. That's to me, what's so fascinating yeah. about it. Yeah. Here's, here's a just quick example. I, I literally was partners with some guys, um, 10 months ago on a, a ranch, sold it to a gentleman. I'm literally flying to Dallas Friday to buy it back from him because, and he's going to make probably $1.5 million off me because I know that was the piece that was the X, uh, on the map. And I'm like, I don't, 
I don't give a shit what it costs. It's over market. But to me, I know it's as good as, I mean, it's as good as gold for big deer. So, um, yeah. And I, and I've been a part of that sale like seven times that place. I mean, I could have owned that thing for a sixth of what I'm going to pay for it again for, you know, but it's like, okay, I'm done screwing around. Now I'm just going to buy the damn thing and be over with. That's great though. Cool. I mean, that's wild. So I got, I got a quick story. Um, I'm not a big, huge, big game hunter, but Pete Alfano and I went big game hunting together in Argentina. Joe, you have any, any guess on what kind of big game you're facing? <laughs> uh, a toucan or a parakeet. <laughs> a Four cat- legs. Capybara, <laughs> capybara and crocodiles, okay? So we'd get out there in the city boat, and there we had no – buckshot and no slugs so i swear pete is my witness the duck guy would take fishing fishing weights and they'd take a machete and they'd chop these like four six ounce weights up into pieces and so they'd give us buckshot would be like chopped up pieces of fishing weights jab back into a one ounce uh, duck load or if they wanted to get really fancy like we needed a big boomer They'd take about, a, you know, an ounce, ounce and a quarter of lead, chop it off, and then spend 30 minutes hammering on this thing to make it into a round ball and then jam that into a duck load. And that's <laughs> out there the crocodiles and capybara with. <laughs> Dude, it was wild. <laughs> did, did you, I mean, did you have any close calls? Well, we, we killed some capybara. I don't, I don't recall that we actually. Got a crocodile. The uh, we pissed we pissed off some crocodiles. I think. <laughs> I believe that. I mean, I mean, Pete. This is I. I believe this, and I. I mean, I know you're a witness, so I would have believed it anyways. But I also believe this because I was the same guy that's like, you know, he's got camp two miles from the duck farm, but he'd rather freaking sharpen sticks and shit, and you know that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I mean, like I was laughing the other day because this guy, you know. Talk about a farm money probably, I, I would assume, couldn't buy their duck farm, 500 acres or whatever it is now, more than that. And it's like you got this asset. You're, you're obviously doing okay at work because you're able to be up here a, a decent bit. And when you're not, you're on vacation. And we're driving around with a freaking four-foot brush hog. What are we doing out here? <laughs> what are we doing? And that's the step up from the pull behind ATV bullshit that he's had for 10 years. Yeah. What are we doing out here? That. What'd you say? Hey. It's still in use. I mean, it's in the shop pretty often, but you know. Frugal, you know man. Oh, people has poe ways and old habits are hard yeah. to break. Hey. There's a difference yeah. between frugality and spending $4,400 in repair bills on a $1,400 pull behind mower. It's, yeah. it's principal at the point with Ira for some. Yeah. Reason. I can't talk too much shit because I literally just last year bought like a 15 foot batwing mower. Like we used to mow like 10,000 acres with a freaking six foot bush hog. And finally I'm like, dude, it takes me a month to mow like 10 acres. This is bullshit. So. <laughs> I mean, Pete, you're talking about paying 1.5 over market. You're talking about getting a 15 foot freaking brush hog. I mean, 
There, yeah, right. some it, folks would say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Trust me. Old habits die hard. That's why you can afford yeah. 1.5 because you you roughed it on the six foot mower <laughs> for a while. Yeah, I just like to sit my ass on the mower all day. <laughs> so, and I mean, I know you've got shit going on here, and and I mean, I I have really enjoyed this talk because, you know, we it's fun to see. And, you know, it's fun to see somebody who comes from an entrepreneurial background, literally watching dad and mom grind it out, you know, trying to do the college thing, getting literally thrust into the fire, it, mm -hmm. fucking fire brick oven pizza. And, yeah. um, you know, going, going from, going from turning out pizzas to turning out a brand that is recognizable, you know, internationally and, you know, what I would say is responsible for a lot of, it has to be rewarding to know that what you guys have done is responsible for a lot of folks feeling the way that we do about some of the farms that we have. And that's coming sure. full circle to where people are able to, people are able to pick up on that feeling that you had for land and that you have for land. That's got to be pretty rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And one thing to add is just um, like a lot. I mean, I'm going to say 99% of guys and girls that work for us, they've been able to make a really good career and better their lives and, you know, built houses and been able to support their families and stuff. So when I get grown men crying, thanking us for the brand, I mean, that's the shit that gets me like breaks me down, you know, and then really like pinches myself and said, shit, this is what it was all about. You know what I mean? We had our core values and we started it, but now you have a room of 500 people sitting there and they're like, you know what I mean? They're all there because they trust you and their family trusts you and you've helped them do this. I mean, to me at the end of the day, that is what's so cool about the company. And the, I think awesome. the most successful people that I know all have one thing in common and that it, unless they just were, you know, unless they picked it up, you know, from family or, or inherited, which, Hey, I, I got mad yeah. respect for those people too. Good for them. And I, I'm hoping when I come back mm -hmm. in my life, I'm one of them, but, um, it's gotta be cool. Or, or I, let me, let me take that back. What I mean to say is the most successful people that are self-made, you look around and it's like, all of a sudden there was a point And even still where it's like, you're grinding, you're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of it. You don't even realize it until you get one of those. I'm assuming I'm not talking like, I'm just like, you know, on yeah. Mount, or Mount Rushmore, but I'm saying for somebody like you, when, when you're grinding along, grinding along, grinding along, got your head down, and then all of a sudden somebody's coming in and thanking you for, you know, basically giving them a new yeah. look on life or whatever, you know, that's got to be that, like a wake-up call. Like, man, I didn't realize that I was actually to this point. There has to be moments like that that really make you it rewarding. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, I mean, I told my wife the other day, it's like if you – because, you know, the older I get, I kind of throw out this crazy-ass shit like this – philosophy stuff you know like the older I get I'm like holy shit I'm talking like an old man now but it's like you sit around and it's like at the end of the race who's gonna who's at who's at the end of the race with you you know what I mean like if you can look around and you have this big family like and it really hit home again the other day when we were at that meeting um you know Donald Trump Jr. was there he came to speak to my guys and you talk about getting people fired up about you know, as weird and as screwed up as things are in this country right now, you would have thought that, um, you know, that Donald Trump just got elected. I mean, people were fired up getting ready to go into battle um, last week. 
and these guys know that they're getting ready to hit some hard times but um just knowing they that we had their backs and the brand is there and like I said, anyone in this room can call me for any question. It could be the dumbest ass question in the world. I don't give a shit because at the end of the day, we all have to finish strong together. Because if, if everyone, you know, if we all embrace each other and support each other, you can pick up, you know, you can pick up pieces where people are, when people need help, you know, and you see it every day. I mean, suicide rates, all this shit's going through the roof right now, but you know, I don't know it to me. It's like, cause I didn't really have much family either after my dad passed away, my mom moved. So Whitetail is pretty much my family. So like, I love talking to the agents. I love hearing their stories, you know, and I love their success. It, it, it's a cliche thing and everybody gets tired of hearing it, but I just know like whenever I played football, you know, my whole life I was played team sports and I was an in individual sports. Yep. Team. We'd be sitting there in football, whether you just won a game or more likely when I was in playing college ball, whether you just got destroyed, um, you there's something in power or like, there's something that fires you about looking around being like, all right, I know that guy's given a hundred percent effort, regardless of the results, whether it's a good, whether it's a good game, a bad game, whether we're going into two a days, whether we're going into the off season, there's something to be said for looking around. And even though I would view myself as somebody who likes to go out on my own a lot and do things, there's something to yeah. be said for looking around and saying, Hey, I'm a part of something that everybody is, is headed for the common goal. Like that's something that yeah. not everybody gets a chance to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I just think, cause, cause I know Ira well too. It's like, if you give, if you give a hundred percent, you're surrounding yourself and giving encouragement to the people around you. I mean, who isn't going to try to damn near give a hundred percent. You know what I mean? It's like, and, it, it, and if they're given 85, you could probably give them that little kick in the ass to get them up to a hundred, you know? And you got, you guys are both though. You guys are in Iris. I, I don't know intimately the details of your company, Pete, but I know from what you're saying, you've got some dedicated folks. I know Ira's, you know, group, they're the type that, you know, he'll have them up to Sumner to like a, you know, a retreat or whatever. And, you know, like an employee, whatever, get together, you know, for people to show up to stuff like that, for people to enjoy themselves, yeah. for people to genuinely be enjoying that that's a culture that it's just like the brand. It's hard to quantify that, but whenever you're part of an organization that doesn't have that. And, and I would say that, you know, I would say that 85% of organizations aren't have employees that aren't fully bought in. I mean, you know, and if yeah. you're not fully bought in, it just, who knows what your business could do. I mean, you look around at like guys that are at a factory or guys that are working for a big company or that are a big office space or that are, you know, selling, you know, stuff over the phone or over online. I mean, you can go through the motions, but it's very rare that you find an organization that, you know, you watch the Wolf of Wall Street and I know they were doing some shady shit there, but oh, yeah. Gordon Belfort yeah. stand up and everyone's screaming and going crazy. It's like those people are bought yeah. in. You know, that's not something oh, yeah. that happens all the time. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, you cannot, that's something you can't replace. Like that is, that's, that's respect earned and that's respect given back to to your organization. Um, and, uh, you know, a million companies can, can open up and do what we do, but they can't good luck. You know what I mean? You're not going to replicate that because it's the business that we're in is too cutthroat and we're, we didn't build our business around that model. So we built a family business, not, you know, sales on top of sales on top of sales in people's territories. Well, the strongest brands, and, and maybe there's an, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's a, a, 
oh, maybe this isn't the rule, but the way I see it, the strongest brands and the strongest business people are never worried about competition. I mean, it doesn't, a lot of new competition doesn't, I mean, who gives a shit? You know, I mean, more power, yeah. you know, I mean, and I, and I don't yeah. mean this is a cliche thing. I hope everybody succeeds, do whatever, but you're not, you know, if you're that worried about somebody affecting from the outside what you're doing, I mean, you got some yeah. flaws in your organization anyway. Totally. Yeah, if you're worried about, I mean, well, we've had, I would say we probably had a dozen guys leave our company through 10, uh, 12, 15 years of business that went out and started their own companies. And, you know, they might go out and talk shit and say this or this. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't need to talk shit. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter to me, but good luck. You know what I mean? Good luck to you. I don't, it's cool. I hope you make a ton of money. Like I got my own shit to worry about. I got, I got 400 people and families and everything else to worry about. I don't give a shit about the, your company. You know what I mean? We can work together, but I don't, you know what I mean? It's, we got our own stuff to worry about. Absolutely. And, and, and that's how you, I mean, that's how you have to be to move a team forward like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, and that goes for anything in life. I mean, I think so many people are hampered and I think we all fall guilty of it at times. So many people are hampered or, uh, held back by worried about what other people in their segment or whatever are doing. And it's like, you know, those people that you're worried about, they're not worried about you. They don't give a shit. Oh yeah. And there's so much yeah. that social media. It's a trap right now. And it's, it's a blessing at first, but it's, it's crazy how many people sit there and dwell on what their competitor or what their neighbor, or whatever's doing. It's like, you guys are missing yeah. out. You know, you're missing out. Yeah. And it, it's hard not to, like you said, with social media, the shit's in your face 24 hours a day. Right. So people want to, you want to be like with your peers, you want to be the biggest, baddest, fastest, you know what I mean? So it's hard not to, when anything you look at social media, it's all about pounding your own shit. I mean, it, literally, if you look at it, I mean, it kind of sucks. That's where we're at, but it's, it's the, it's the, I guess the evil, you know, the best, the two, um, whatever the hell I'm trying to say, but you, um, that, you, you know, you, you got to be a part of it, but it's, it's just the way it is. And when you, when you really look though, and you peel that back, it's not hard to see the people that are really making it because they're the folks that yeah. are find their position. They're the folks that are investing. They're the folks that are creating, yep. creating opportunities for other people, you know, and, and yep. those people that are just on there that are talking heads on social media, they're not doing any of that stuff and they never have much, you know, longevity. So it's a tough, it's yeah. a tough world to navigate right now for somebody wanting to, to get into entrepreneurship, but to end it out, I want the, the both of you guys, Ira, we'll start with you. And we've talked about this before, but if somebody's wanting to do their own thing and they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start, what's the first main bit of advice that you would give that person, a young person looking to navigate that right now? I know you can't do it for them, but what's one thing you'd tell them? Well, I mean, I'd say have both eyes wide open and uh, and be objective, but I'd also tell them to focus on where their passion is. So maybe they're not into hunting. Maybe they like to surf. Maybe they like to skateboard. Maybe they like whatever. But I feel like if you are looking at wherever your passion lies with both eyes wide open and trying to think outside the box or really just how can I provide more value or a better way to do things because I do know this business or I do know this sport or I do know this activity very well. How can I provide more value? Because if you can make things better for people, 
um, then you're going to find success because people are going to want to, they're going to, they're going to be the real deal and they're going to find that value along with you. Just like with Marsh. I mean, you know, we found a different way to do things out of being mobile in an aquatic environment. So, you know, sure, we had to do a little bit of explaining, but people who were truly hardcore end users uh, that understood everything and knew you didn't have to explain it to them very much because they got it right off the bat mm-hmm. and they were more for it because the value was greater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, everything Ira said, I would, I would, to- I mean, spot on. Um, one thing I would add, I'm just kind of looking back at myself is I've always like, you know, keeping both eyes open and just, I, a lot of people like to talk and sometimes you just need to shut up and listen to people around you. And what I always tried to do was surround myself with successful business owners and listen to their story without prying too much, um, get their story and their background and then find out my similar, you know what I mean? Like, and and you can start connecting dots with people that you kind of run in circles. Um, and then, um, you know, like Iris said, your passions, you know, and, and have like a vision board, man. Like I still have like in my, behind my desk, I have a board that I write certain things down on and some like once or twice a week, I'll look at it and be like, okay, I need to work on that. And you'll be surprised if you don't look at, some, at least for me, like I need to look at something to remind myself, like I still old school as shit. Like I write, I have notebooks where I write notes all day. I carry those notes over into the evening to tomorrow. Um, and let's just say I had a passion for surfboards, like Iris said you know, reach out to someone that's successful in that business. If you can do an internship with someone or, um, you know, even if you got to take it on the chin just to learn the business a little bit better and just surround yourself, learn everything you know about it and don't burn any bridges. Um, Cause you never know when you need to circle back with someone in your past that you might need a favor from, or they might be able to help you that you don't realize today um, tomorrow down the road, you know, they might be there for you. So, um, yeah, I mean, the number one thing I just surround myself with people that know everything that I don't know, basically. And I'm, I mean, I barely graduated high school, so I've got some smart people around me that I surrounded myself with. I mean, you know, that's, and at the end of the day, I mean, it's something that we've heard, but hearing those words, you know, you can tell people all you want, but until you, you know, until you're somebody's ready to, to one, listen and two, get involved, you know, all, you know, the way, the way I say it is, you know, you gotta, you, if you're interested in getting something going, you gotta, at, at a certain point you can watch, but you gotta dive in, mm-hmm. whether that's be, be it right or be it wrong. It's a lot easier to make maneuvers and get to the right spot when you're already in the water. You know, you might be swimming mm-hmm. the wrong way, but you can get turned around. It's a lot easier to do that than than to uh, than to have to dive in again. You know, so yeah. um, you know you got to be smart about it. But at a certain point, you're going to get some points for just getting involved and doing something and getting out there and and trying to make something happen. Yeah, totally. Like like I always say, it, the shit ain't going to happen on the couch. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to sit there and get rich. Like you're not going to be successful or happy sitting on the couch. The phone's not going to ring and the magic man's going to walk in and say, here's your business. Here you go. 
it's not going to happen. You got to get off your ass and move and shake and hustle. And, you know, I, I'll say this, nobody, whenever, whenever I, whenever I started my own, I said, when I started off of my own, I said, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it work or not. I might be back at a job in, in a couple of years. I don't know, but, and, and I still could be, but I was like, one thing I know for sure is if I keep the ball rolling, I keep going and I don't, and I don't slow down something will, will happen. And for me, it happened quick. Yeah. Um, and, and it's built, but it's like, you know, even now, but especially five, six years ago when I was starting out, um, I wasn't, I was never sitting around. It was like, I'm going to go here. And then as soon as I got done here, I'm going here. And then I'm in another state and I'm here yeah. and I'm everywhere. And, and I didn't know at that time, was I making much money? Was I, was I not, but I had the plan of here's where it needs to go. Here's where the relationship can take you. And here's what skill set I have eventually I'm going to build that brand for myself. And my brand isn't whitetail properties. It's not habitat flats, mm -hmm. whatever. My brand is, is me somewhat. And so like we talked, that can get a little bit dangerous when you're the guy behind the brand. So when I looked at it that way, you know, I need to start diversifying on the back end about, you know, getting income, producing properties, buying land, doing that kind of stuff. So there is mm -hmm. some longevity there. And that part of it's been fun for me, but the advice that I would give is just get involved and don't worry about, you might, you might lose money on a deal. You might, you yeah. might get paid for every hour you work. You're not going to, but you know, if you're one of those right. guys, God damn, I work and I want paid. I mean, you're yep. never going to build something truly remarkable with that mindset. No, no, no. You know, and, and honestly, I know we're trying to wrap up, but just one thing I just thought of is like, people are so scared of failure. Right. And they, it'll consume them. I don't even think of that shit. Like if I was going to start another business or I get into something, all I think about is getting across the finish line and winning. Like, what do I have to do to get there? Like screw fear. Like that shit doesn't, I, that doesn't even come into my head. If you let that shit in, then you're already, you already got kicked in the stomach, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we see the same thing on the land purchasing side. I know we're wrapping things up, but think of all the people that want to own property that will never own a piece because they just can't pull the trigger. I mean, yep. they sit there so many things that they're scared of that they'll never buy the ground. Every day, dude, I talk to people every day like that. And I'm not a real estate guru by any chance, but all I want to say is this to anyone out there who might be listening and you're probably not, but it ain't going back to $500 an acre. You know, good farm yeah. is not going back to a thousand an acre. Cause if it does, I will freaking buy it. You know what I mean? Like exactly. It, it's, it's, it's time to grind. I mean, I envy these people that have all this collateral built up on inherited or purchased and paid for farm ground, and they can get any amount of money to, to invest any way they want to set themselves up or their family up. And they're saying, no, I ain't going to pay that for that. It's like, what are you all doing yeah. I mean, at a certain yeah. you know, they a lot of people know a lot more than me and there are bad buys don't get me wrong you can get in an auction and get excited and get fired up but how many times do you go to an auction or how many times do you see somebody buy something and everybody that didn't buy it says well they got they got effed and then three years later yeah, yeah. they sell it for seven thousand dollars more than what they paid for it and they right. make good income right. off of it. those people aren't buying shit anyways that's what i always say they're they're and not listen, buying shit anyway. And so. listening to them keeps people from buying and that keeps them from yeah, realizing yeah. opportunities. How many times you hear somebody that says, God, I should have bought that. You know, even the people that buy oh. the most and do the most yeah. say it. So imagine the people yeah. who don't buy anything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could have bought that 10 years ago for $500 an acre. Well, you should have, yeah. you should have yeah. sold me a kidney and did it. 
Yeah, no, no joke. I'm, I, I know it's, it's crazy to think about. And this is stuff, and I hope everybody enjoyed this because this is stuff that I hope we all can relate to, you know, whether that's starting a business, buying a piece of property, you know, taking over a family business, maybe making a sacrifice that you weren't expecting, maybe growing up quicker than what you wanted to. Um, you know, maybe, that, maybe it's, maybe you're one of those guys that have grinded and have put the pieces in place and now you're enjoying it. Don't feel any guilt about that. I hope you get to deer hunt every day. I hope you get to freaking duck hunt every day. I hope you're on a beach. I mean, good for you. And I hope nobody feels any regret for busting their ass and then enjoying the rewards. So, you know, if you guys, anybody that's out there listening, like I said, I'm fortunate. I work with some great clients. I work with some great land sales agents, some great professionals. But I think if you guys listen to this and you kind of get a feel for Pete as an owner of Whitetail Properties, that ought to give you a little bit of an insight into how he views land. And I'm sure that Pete would not be opposed to you giving him a call if you have any questions about a piece of property that you're looking at, or, or if you don't know where to start your real estate journey, I'm sure he's got a guy on his staff that can help you out. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks, man. All right, man. My dad would cook for him and all the guides live in this little, we called it the Mouse Mahal. I mean, it was just a little rundown shack. I'm kind of an addictive person. If I ever get on drugs, I feel like it's over. Because... <laughs>